1: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Next year is going to be an ugly
2: election year in which you can expect very little to get done. debt going
1: has become a pernicious political tool which doesn't help either party. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We're confident at the
3: end of the day that the Senate is going to put American families first. 330 million Americans are expecting and waiting for us to move the ball forward and get stuff done. And when that doesn't happen, it is frustration.
4: Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthews on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where things are happening. They just passed it 60 seconds ago. Senate passed the debt ceiling measure. Defense spending is next on the itinerary, but still no real sense of where the president's social spending plan is heading, even after the meeting of the Joes. And so we begin the fastest hour in politics with one big question. What happens if there's no Build Back Better this year? The biggest impact could be the loss of the child tax credit And we'll hear what the White House is saying about that. And we'll discuss as well with Catherine Ann Edwards, economist at the Rand Corporation. We'll connect with Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins on Capitol Hill for the latest on all of this. That vote again, raising the debt limit by two and a half trillion dollars and now heads to the House that is breaking right now on the terminal later. We'll turn to the select committee investigating January 6th. The House poised to recommend Mark Meadows become the first White House chief of staff to face criminal charges since H.R. Haldeman almost 50 years ago. We explore the case with Michael Zeldin today, former federal prosecutor, former special counsel to Robert Mueller. And we'll talk about it all with our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. Lawmakers voting on both sides of the Capitol today. On the House side, members deciding whether to recommend former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows face criminal contempt charges. While the Senate votes to raise the debt ceiling, it just happened as we took air $2.5 trillion. So let's get right to where things are happening now. We're joined by Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins, who is in the Senate as we speak. It's a done deal. What's next, Emily?
5: now it goes to the House. Uh, the House has said, we've heard from House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, that they want to take this up today, that it might be a late night, but they are game huh. to do it. Not necessarily a guarantee. Still could happen tomorrow morning. But at, at this point, every the momentum is there. The hardest votes are over. Uh, the, they just need to get this to the House, which of course is on its own busy agenda today. They're yeah, currently right. talking about holding Trump's former, former chief of staff in contempt. Busy, busy day on the House, as every everyone tries to wrap up for what could potentially be one of the last days of the year.
4: Yeah, we're getting close here. Of course, both of these were expected to pass, right? The real news today, Emily, two and a half trillion dollars. Does that buy us time through the midterms? We don't have to talk about this again for a year?
5: It's going to buy us time until early 2023, according to what Senate Democrats have projected here. So that means that we're going to get all the way through the midterms without having to debate this again. Of course, the big question then is what does the uh, Congress's makeup look like in 2023? Is this going to be a bunch of Democrats again trying to pass it over Republican objections? Or are you going to have a divided Congress that, that could potentially make the situation even more difficult?
4: I can't think that far ahead because we still have the matter... Of Build Back Better, the president's social spending plan still bogged down in the Senate. Uh, Emily or Joe Manchin says he's engaged, but clearly not ready to approve anything after the meeting with the president. And the parliamentarians still has to make final rulings on what's in and what's out of any final legislation. So the calendar does not favor getting this done before Christmas, as Senator Chuck Schumer hopes. I mean, are, are lawmakers talking honestly about this?
5: I mean, it really does not allow this to get done. I mean, you would have to see some major, major movement in the next couple of days. Yeah. And at this point, lawmakers, you know, they, they know that break is coming. They just want to get home, want to well, spend sure. the holidays with their families. They do not want to be here in Congress. And they really don't see sort of a, a big incentive to pass the build, so-called Build Back Better bill now. I mean, yes, there are a couple tax credits that are expiring at the end of the year. But when I've asked lawmakers about them, they've pointed out that those tax credits can be in stated retroactively, whenever they finally do get the bill across the finish line, there seems to still be a lot of confidence that that can be done, that they will get this major piece of legislation for President Biden uh, to his desk for his signature, but mm-hmm. at this point there are still a number of outstanding things. Joe, I think you were very right to mention the parliamentarian. There are still numerous issues that they are looking at. Yeah. We don't know, yet know what immigration is going to look like. That's a huge provision for a number of lawmakers. We still have the state and local tax deduction that we haven't figured out. Uh, we still have paid family and medical leave. We <laughs> haven't. Fi- I mean, there's a list here. Stop. I, just-
4: <laughs> I want to talk about the child tax credit. Uh, The next round of checks go out to families tomorrow. That could be the last check for a while or ever if if this doesn't pass. Right. We heard some interesting language. I want to hear what's going on your end, Emily. At the White House today, though, Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked repeatedly about it uh, in the White House briefing. This brings us back to yesterday with one example here.
1: Doesn't it seem
6: likely that this isn't going to happen before the holiday? Uh, I don't think we need, we're need we in a place to make that prediction from here, nor is anyone at this point in time. I mean, the president supports this package, of course, because it includes an extension of the child tax credit, but also because it will lower the cost of prescription drugs, of child care, of elder care, of housing, uh, key components that are impacting people across this country. Uh, he thinks that's a pretty compelling case. The American public agrees they like all of those components, too. Uh, but he also understands how the legislative process works and we're going to work that day by day.
4: OK, and so so the White House doesn't want to talk about what ifs, as long <laughs> as there's a chance that this legislation passes this year. Emily, listen to the next go around. There were several. This is a question from another reporter, Ed O'Keefe from CBS, asking, well, the next obvious question.
2: Mm-hmm. The White House be OK if congressional Democrats move to stand alone. Uh, piece of legislation that extended those
6: tax credits Uh, we're not at that point right now Uh, right now we're continuing to press to get bill back better through the senate Uh, leader schumer has advocated for that and that's
0: what we're working on at this moment
4: see here move right along until we need to talk about that emily wilkins i just wonder are democrats on the hill saying anything about a possible interruption or maybe an effort to get a standalone child tax credit
5: well, it's interesting, Joe, because at this point you have a lot of Democrats who are speaking up about the child tax credit, saying it's very important, we can't let it expire, it's mm-hmm. done a lot for families, it's super popular, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when you go ahead and ask lawmakers, do we need to pass a temporary funding, a lot of them kind of dodge the question. So they won't they answer either, it either. Yeah, Because I that mean, implies
4: that the bigger bill won't pass, right? They can't do that with you.
5: I mean, it could be that, but it could also be a matter of putting Pressure on Mansion and Cinema, sure. and maybe others. There's Democrats. no option, right? Exactly. I mean, they don't have a lot of leverage to move this process faster because, for the most part, uh, this could go into 2022, yes. and you're not going to see a lot of Americans impacted. But this way, they're really trying to put the pressure. It's a tactic you're seeing Schumer undertake. It's a tactic you're seeing Pelosi undertake. And uh, of course, putting putting the pressure on someone for a deadline doesn't work. If you know <laughs> two weeks before the yeah. deadline, you say, "Whoop! Well, we've got a plan B."
4: Fair enough. Our buddy, Emily Wilkins, Bloomberg Government, live in the U.S. Senate tonight. We thank you, Emily, for your reporting. As always, I want to get an economist's view on this, and we welcome Catherine Ann Edwards, economist at the RAND Corporation. Catherine, we appreciate your being here. The Center for American Progress says ending the child tax credit would pull almost 10 million children below the poverty line. Is that true from your view, and and what would it mean for the broader economy if that happened? Well,
6: thank you for having me, and you know, there, you won't find an economist out there who will tell you that more children in poverty is good for our economy and our society. Sure. The the estimates vary based by on assumptions, which is true for any estimate ever. I think that the the line to kind of the, the, the north star to keep in your mind is that the goal of legislation should be to reduce child poverty where possible uh, in order to improve outcomes for those children, those families in our economy and society. Um, so there is a little bit of kind of internecine quibbling. Is it four? Is it 10? Um, it's more than zero.
4: I don't want to get to the point where we're splitting hairs here, but give us a sense of, you know, what could happen if there was an interruption. If lawmakers can't get this done, tomorrow's the last check that goes out. There could be a month uh, without another. Uh, granted, they could prorate this, maybe make up and backfill the, the payments that were that were made or that were lost, rather. What does this mean for families who actually need this $300 a month, though? Uh, I mean, is this, are we talking grocery money? What's the actual impact on Americans who are going to be waiting for that check next month?
6: The immediate effects when the first payment went out in July were a reduction in reported difficulty in paying household expenses, a reduction in the number of households with children that were food insecure, and an increase in spending on education expenses hmm. So that's what's at stake is that, you know, you've turned on one spigot, you've introduced a source of income for households that they are directing, you know, mostly towards their children and you'll turn it back off again.
4: What do you say to the argument that we hear from a, a lot of folks uh, who are middle class, have a couple of kids, they're doing pretty well, they did not lose a job or stop working during COVID and they say, you know what, we don't we don't actually need this money how important is means testing how important is, uh, how important are income uh, caps when it comes to the child tax credit and keeping it viable
6: you know i would find their reaction you know interesting considering that the child tax credit has existed since 1997 and it ha- it in 2019 it was $2000 so long as you had at least a $2000 tax bill right? It wasn't fully refundable. It was Mm -hmm. only partially refundable in certain circumstances. So the majority of middle class, upper middle class, and frankly, rich households already received this credit, even when we were at full employment, even when we were at a booming economy, because the recognition, at least in creating a child tax credit, is that you want to help parents who have children knowing that they have extra expenses. What changed in 2021 is that we made sure that people who were too poor to claim the credit previously could, and we increased it and we paid it, you know, at a little faster interval, right? We accelerated the payment. So the question here isn't should the middle class get a tax credit? The question here is do we think it's worth having children from poor and low-income families get the same credit that children from rich families get?
4: That's a great answer, Catherine. How worried are you in our our remaining 30 seconds that this goes away?
6: It would be a tragic retreat from progress that was very hard fought to turn to low-income families to families that have been struggling to say we know what can pull you out of this situation and we yeah. simply lack the willpower to execute it
4: we called you because we wanted to talk with someone not partisan not involved in this debate on the hill and i appreciate your expertise Catherine ann edwards economist at the rand corporation here on sound on coming up we assemble the panel rick and jeannie with us for the hour i'm joe matthew this is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QB. Join heads of state. Influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
4: Who says they don't get anything done in Congress? The Senate just voted to lift the debt ceiling. You heard Charlie Pellet, And as I read on the terminal, Mansion, says he's engaged with Biden on economic plan. That's got to be good, right? Well, not sure anything changed after the big meeting of the Joes last night. And that's why we're having a conversation today about what might go on the 1st of January if the president's social spending plan does not actually pass. That's why we're zeroing in on the child tax credit for a moment. And we want to assemble the panel to talk about it a bit more with Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis This is real stuff here, Jeannie. This is the type of thing that uh, Nancy Pelosi likes to talk about, the real policies that are touching real people that are improving families' lives. If this bill doesn't pass, though, we get at least an interruption, and maybe it's the end of the road for the expanded child tax credit. I wonder your thoughts on this in, in terms of Democrats making plans for this not to pass. Should they not be pursuing a standalone agenda?
7: I have always thought that standalones in terms of these critical pieces do make sense. I don't see them doing that at this point. But let's not forget, one of the things that Democrats have tried to make the case about and is a really important aspect of the Build Back Better is about a third of it is to invest in children, and that investment is critical to all of our future. And so when you talk about the child tax credit, that's a perfect example of that investment, I don't think we get this before Christmas. It's possible we get it in the new year. But if we don't, they should pursue a standalone because we need to reduce child poverty in this country. Democrats' plans have been able to do that so far, and that's critical to all of us going forward. Democrats haven't made the best case talking about that, but it is critically important that we underscore that.
4: Rick, I figure Chuck Schumer's got something in his pocket here. If they don't get the whole thing done by, say, the middle of January, there's some retroactive bill that could be put in place. Or or do they risk losing the child tax credit and blame Republicans for it?
3: You know, I mean, no matter what, they're going to blame Republicans for it. So I think that <laughs> okay. speaks for itself. But, um, you know, look, I think that that, that they are... They're hearing good things from Joe Manchin, right? He isn't outright saying he's not gonna vote for it. In fact True. I've I've been kinda stunned that he's been a little more positive about the one point seven five trillion dollar figure. Um but the problem is when you start breaking this thing up, how are you gonna pay for it? Right? The minute you start like taking out different things like the, the child tax credit, you gotta find revenue for that. And And then you've got to have a tax bill that uh, goes along with it in order to get that revenue into the tax code. So it's not reconciliation anymore, right? And so I think that it's a much more difficult task, one, frankly, that the Democrats should do because that's the proper way to make laws, not through reconciliation. Uh, But they're not going to give up reconciliation easily, right? I mean, it's a one-stop shop to build their their reelection plank for 2022 if they have it do it piecemeal they'll they'll just be finishing the bills by the time their ballots get
4: cast yeah uh Jeannie, tell me about the meeting last night what your thoughts were this morning was we got these very terse statements from the mansion and and biden offices as we expected uh and a little bit more talk from joe manchin yesterday as we discussed around inflation around the fed meeting this week does he wait Until Jay Powell speaks tomorrow before adding more to this.
7: I think he does wait but you know for me I'm just looking at the polls in West Virginia and you're looking at about six out of ten in some cases a little more than six out of ten West Virginians saying that the build back better at this point would make inflation worse and to me that speaks volumes as to where Joe Manchin is by the way we see not as quite as as dire for Democrats but a similar picture out of Arizona so I think as you look at those polls these are things that obviously Joe Manchin takes very seriously Kristen cinema take very seriously right they should and he has long made the case there's no reason to rush this we can wait we can do it after so i think he waits until the meeting tomorrow but i do think time is running short for anything to happen before christmas with the inflation numbers we just got last week you coupled that with this cbo report that lindsey graham says that joe manchin you know was was looking for and asking for i think the writing is on the wall for joe manchin
4: to press the gas pedal once again and, and slow walk this in the next year, you mean?
7: That, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, he, I think he breaks this a while. And I think that, that sort of explains some of the, you know, friendly but terse statements last night.
4: Yeah, they did seem friendly to your point, uh, Rick. Nobody said anything to, to change the story. I just wonder if, if Joe Manchin's afraid to be handcuffed ahead of the statement from tomorrow. If we get some hawker statement from the Fed, he's going to have to move along with that.
3: Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, I think that it's unlikely you're going to get good news from the Fed on inflation tomorrow, and uh, and he'll use that as some high cover. Uh, look, the guy has been pretty vocal. It's not like he needs some high cover from the Fed to do exactly what he's been doing for months sure. now. Um, uh, and I really think, I mean, one of the things that I was told, which you know, it's kind of interesting is that 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 after the initial onslaught of pressure on Manchin and Cinema on this bill, people realize they actually weren't going to cave and and the pressures kind of dissipated. It's more like, hey, I hope we can get you on board. Right. Um, and 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 I and I'm kind of sensing that, right, that the Democrats have basically figured out that they're not going to muscle Joe Manchin to the finish line on Build Back Better. So they better start thinking about other ways of enticing him and, 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 and I think just the fact that they are espousing some sensitivity on inflation. Uh, you imagine where we were a month and a half ago in the rhetoric on inflation where we are today. It's, it's, it's a complete reversal.
4: Night and day. Rick and Jeannie are here for the hour. As we turn to the other matter at hand on Capitol Hill, the House voting to recommend former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to face criminal contempt charges if Democrats get their way. We'll talk about it with Michael Zeldin, former special counsel to Robert Mueller, and we'll turn it to the panel right here on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting
1: live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 991 to New York, Bloomberg 11.3.0 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, SiriusXM, Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg
4: Sound On with Joe Matthew. The U.S. House voting on the fate of Mark Meadows today. Democrats widely expected to pass a resolution recommending the former White House Chief of Staff, Trump Chief of Staff, face criminal. Contempt charges following in the footsteps of Steve Bannon. This after the select committee investigating January 6 last night voted unanimously in favor. We'll talk about it next with Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, former special counsel to Robert Mueller. It's in process right now. We'll let you know when the votes are in as the House considers uh, this measure uh, that would recommend Mark Meadows to face criminal contempt charges. Sent it over the DOJ as that is expected to take place following The committee's 9-0 to recommendation and a report justifying the action. House Rules Committee announcing that uh, they would meet this morning, they took care of the procedure, and off and running, this should be done by the time we are done. It's interesting, too, because Mark Meadows gave the committee a lot. If you hear the text messages from the Fox anchors, from Donald Trump Jr., There's a lot in there, but the committee wants a lot more, including direct testimony. And so the chairman, Benny Thompson, chair of the House Select Committee on January 6th. Said Mark Meadows blew it when he decided not to talk and actually testify to the committee. Here he is.
1: When the records raise questions as these most certainly do, you have to come in and answer those questions. And when it's time for him to follow the law, Come in and testify on those questions. He changed his mind and told us to pound sand. He didn't even show up.
4: Pound sand. He did publish a book, though, and apparently would not even confirm some of the details of the book in negotiating some sort of arrangement here with the panel. The committee's done. The House is voting. And we're joined by Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, former special counsel Robert Mueller, when he worked at DOJ. Michael, we're glad to have you today. Does the House have a case here against the Chief of Staff who's claiming executive privilege and actually did provide some, if not all, information? I think they do have a case. If this was a case about just
2: executive privilege related conversations, I think it's a difficult case for DOJ. But the DOJ case in this instance would not be based on good faith disagreements about privilege assertions, but rather Meadow's wholesale refusal to appear and to provide any testimony, including testimony on non-privileged information, information that he himself turned over to the committee and designated as non-privileged. So I think he has a very difficult time avoiding a contempt citation.
4: So you could envision a world in which Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows are both in jail
2: roommates no it's it's not likely that anyone goes to jail for these things the type of sentence usually is probation but you know it's it's theoretically possible i would expect however that if the supreme court rules that the assertion of privilege by trump is unavailing trump loses that argument then meadows through his counsel are going to figure out some sort of compromise with the House that involves providing both privileged and non-privileged testimony okay. in exchange for not um, being sent to jail or having the charges dropped if DOJ brings them. Bannon is a wild card, and never am I able to predict what he
4: going I understand. To. Of course, Bannon has different—he plays by different rules and could benefit. You know, his brand could benefit uh, by by being seen, you know, thrown in jail for this for a minute if that ends up happening. Uh, Mark Meadows is another matter Former White House chief of staff This is about precedent here uh, For the executive In a very different fashion Is it not?
2: Well, were Meadows The chief of staff And Trump were the president And the House were Was seeking Information from Meadows About what he told Trump I think the House About matters of policy Mm -hmm. I think the House loses But this is former Chief of Staff Meadows, former President Trump, talking about political matters, not policy matters, in an environment where the current president waived the privilege on behalf of the executive branch. I think mm-hmm. in those circumstances, Meadows is in a very difficult situation. And
4: if the, the Supreme Court
2: rules against Trump, he's got to figure out a way to come in and clear himself of the contempt.
4: Understood. How, if you're balancing matters here, the wishes of the committee or the potential offense here by Mark Meadows, how important is, is his oral testimony versus uh, having uh, preserved or not documents from that day and, and providing them to the committee in written form?
2: Almost in all cases, witnesses who can explain what you have in writing are advantageous witnesses. So you look at a spreadsheet, or you look at a text message, or you look at an email, and it's subject to a couple of meanings, let's say. The language is not completely clear from the written document. When the witness comes in and you say, well, what did you mean by this as the author of this email text? um memo, and the witness says, this is what I meant, that's very clarifying and very helpful because it undermines the argument that, no, that's not what he meant. Uh, You can read the document two ways.
4: We know we have the events on January 6th itself that day, Uh, real-time communications. We're hearing Liz Cheney read, uh, which was fascinating uh, to the committee. We also have just the overall effort uh to what democrats would say overturn an election here the the actual manhandling of officials the phone calls uh the litigation and so forth that mark meadows was involved in and and at least aware of his call uh with georgia state officials for instance how do those play into this uh this case versus the actual events of the 6 the a- actual insurrection
2: well there are you know different
4: stages
2: of the case if you will
4: what do they care more about
2: well i think they care most about whether or not the president of the united states or any of his close political associates were part of an organized conspiracy Mm -hmm. to attack the Capitol in order to stop the certification of the election i think that's would be the most damaging as opposed to building the
4: backdrop of you know the opposition to the results
2: that's right you, you have a right, as a House or Senate member, to contest a slate of delegates. That's sure. your right, and no one says otherwise. But um, if you're part of a conspiracy to attack the building to prevent certification, that's a very different matter, and that's what is at the heart of the investigation, so that they can determine, one, whether or not anyone violated the laws and two, what of the existing laws need to be improved in order to make sure that this does not happen again.
4: Great expertise from Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor with us on SoundOn. We'll reassemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe
4: Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Senator Mitch McConnell went so far as to say today he was not in touch with Mark Meadows on the 6th of January. Of course, he knew how the headlines would likely read after this vote in the House tonight. Let's reassemble the panel for more with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Chanzano and Rick Davis here back on Sound On. Rick, if Mark Meadows is charged, if this goes all the way through DOJ the way Democrats want. Does he cut a deal to provide more information and avoid punishment?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, that would be rational, but so would actually just talking to the House committee that you just gave thousands of emails to. So what's with the half measure?
4: I don't get the strategy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I don't get it either. I mean, if you're going to claim uh, executive privilege, don't give them any emails, don't give them any correspondence, don't give them any information, because... That way, you're sort of pure on the issue. But to have cooperated and then divulged all this information, both official in his official capacity, also his private emails, uh, which he wasn't supposed to be using for work, um, he, he kind of undercuts the whole concept of executive privilege. So, you know, and by the way, you heap that on top of a tell-all book, The chief Chief <laughs> that were just published a month ago, where he dis you know... Uh, uh, throws out there all kinds of internecine uh, stories inside the Oval Office. Uh, I mean, I don't really get it. Uh, he's, he's probably the most um, uh, least confidential chief of staff in history, <laughs> wow. and yet uh, he wants to claim executive privilege.
4: Yeah. What do you make of the strategy here, Jeannie? Is it about selling books uh, or is it just about thumbing your nose at Democrats? Maybe something in between.
7: I think it's a bit of both. Um, You know, it is curious that he, you know, I wonder who is advising him. You put a book out in which you malign your former boss to a certain extent. He did heap praise on on him in some ways, but he also revealed that President Trump had COVID. That apparently upset the president. You cooperate with this committee to the extent you're turning over massive amounts of documents and then you pull back. And so it is going to be you know, it's curious to understand what he's doing, and let's not forget the history here. It has been almost 200 years since Congress held a former member in contempt. That was Sam Houston from Tennessee because he former beat member. a former he beat a colleague um, with a with a wooden uh, cane. Um, so, you know, this is what we're talking about when when we talk about what a momentous you know time this really is. Yeah. To, that they are actually taking this step with a former member.
4: So you're, yeah, boy, it's, it's incredible. You released personal texts to to Rick's point. This was the personal cell phone with the, the, the president's son, Donald Trump Jr. But you won't talk about details in a book that people will be able to buy off the shelf. Rick, what kind of a congressman was Mark Meadows? He's a Tea Party Republican, one of the founders of the Freedom Caucus. Was he an effective member of the Republican Party?
3: Yeah, I think people felt like they could do business with him. I mean, even though he was uh, ideologically right of center, uh I don't think uh, uh most people thought he was unreasonable. He was outspoken, but that's the job of being a house member is to be outspoken. So I think that uh I think that he would have blended into the woodwork of the house, you know, very simply and and wasn't a star in any shape or form, I mean, you know I think nobody was talking about him being a speaker someday. But yeah, right. um, but look, I mean, you know he 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 did rise up to be chief of staff of the United States of America. It, it, that, that used to be a job that um, people tried to maintain dignity around, and um, and in the ten or eleven months that he served in that job. Uh, we had some of the greatest crises domestically that we've ever had as a country, uh, and um, and now he's kind of making a mockery of the system. So it's disappointing. I've, I've, I've served with many great chiefs of staff, uh, and yeah. and I think they took their job very seriously. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious how history is going to treat Mark Meadows.
4: Yeah, pretty uh, incredible to consider would be the first White House chief of staff to face criminal charges since H.R. Haldeman. Uh, but then again, he could turn around, as we're discussing already, Genie, and and figure out a way to to provide more information uh, once charges are filed here. So things might not end the same way. But I I can only assume that even with uh, in Trump universe, maybe he goes on to run a a media company or something. But His political career is over
7: that's right and this has been another aspect of this which is a a bit strange is that it it would have been possible for him and his attorney to give the appearance of cooperating and limit some of what they said and yet here he turns over all this material and then pulls back and gets himself in this position of having these charges of contempt filed against him and to your earlier point Mitch McConnell's statement on this when he says it'll be interesting to reveal all All the participants who were involved isn't that right knowing he's been you know close to liz cheney and others and where he stands vis-a-vis donald trump that was a very interesting sort of in the last 24 hours revelation as well
4: what are you hearing rick that that we might learn or what that we we might be afraid to learn will will there be uh, text messages or phone calls that meadows is sitting on here or i guess others who could be testifying Uh, directly with members of Congress. We've heard about this line from Meadows that the National Guard will be there to protect pro-Trump protesters. How concerned are you by what we might hear?
3: Oh, I'll be fascinated, not so concerned. I mean, what I'm concerned about is what actually happened already. It'd be kind of nice to know, how did it happen? Well, yeah. Um, uh, And I think that uh, part of what we saw uh, today with Liz Cheney actually reading out uh some of these emails from uh Meadows I mean oh you don't want to cooperate with us but so let's go ahead and make public some of the things you've already given us um and I think that that, that there's a there's a deep well there they've not only got his emails but they've got emails from lots of the White House staff more more than we know and and many we wouldn't be able to pick out of a lineup right now but they've got that information and and they've also uh, uh, got a lot of leads that indicate members of Congress. In the case of one story circulating right now related to Meadows' emails, a senator who might have been involved in right. uh, discussions around trying to stop the count. So uh, this, this is a story that will play out uh, all through the first quarter of next year. It'll be interesting to see how long the committee takes to make a report public. Uh, my guess is it will be influenced, but not directed by the midterm election cycle. And uh, and I think the American public deserves to know what was going on. Uh, frankly, mm-hmm. it was fascinating to me that Donald Trump Jr. Uh, was aghast that his father wasn't doing more Isn't to stop uh, the attack on the Capitol, mm-hmm. uh, one that arguably he helped foment at the rally earlier that day. So. Uh, It's a fascinating uh, storyline. And stay tuned, America, because you may find a few things out that you otherwise wouldn't have known.
4: Jeannie, talk to us more about the politics uh, behind all of this. We're talking about the facts and what we're trying to learn about uh, the history of January 6th here. But is it not in Democrats favor to drag this thing out as far as they can into a midterm election year?
7: I, I do think, you know, the Democrats, sincerely, and the Republicans <clears throat> on the committee as well, including Adam Kissinger and, and and um and of course, Liz Cheney, they and, and many other people want to get to the bottom of what happened. I mean, I, you know, we all lived through it. We watched it live on Bloomberg. And, you know, there was an attack on our Capitol. You had the threats against the life of the sitting vice president of the United States. And by all, you know, accounts, the attempt to over overthrow a Democratic election. So, you know, yes, there are certainly politics involved in anything Congress does, but this is serious. And so it is critical that the American public get the real story of who was involved and what happened. I think one of my biggest questions is, are we ever going to get that if Republicans take the House next year in the midterms, You know, by all accounts, they would shut this down immediately. Can the committee get their report out to Rick's point before that happens, I think, is the big question here. Well, I
4: don't want to undermine anything that you're saying about that. All of that is absolutely true. But why not exact even more pain and let this thing drag out and have, you know, have a fallout of some sort uh, in the election year that that apparently is, you know, leaning against Democrats right now?
7: Well, you know, I think that they will try to drag it out. I mean, I'm not saying drag it out. I think they will try to get to the bottom of it. But I also think that they need to be cognizant that people do see this as political. So I think when they can get the full story out, they should put that out there for all of us to see exactly what happened. There is, you know, every day, including in the last couple hours, we learn more and more information about what occurred at our capital yeah. less than a year ago.
4: What are the political implications then, Rick, uh, for the midterms? Does this come down to individuals here? Do people make the connection between what they saw in January 6th and their own congressman? You know how that tends to pull differently when you're when you're asking about broad political themes versus your own representative?
3: Well, I think, you know, just take Liz Cheney as a great example, Joe. I mean, like here's a woman who's been under siege by her own party Um, you know, uh, the Donald Trump juniors of the world have been eviscerating her with her own public. She's, you know, Donald Trump has recruited a, a a member of her own party and an old friend to run against her. And and she can stand up today and read these emails from people who were critical of her for the same thing they are now espousing as concern they had the same day on January 6th. So. Um, the, the the comfort that must give her, and the weapon that she can you know use back at her home state to run for re-election, saying, "Hey, even the president's son was aghast at the conduct of the president." Oh, well, I mean, that's true. That is a nuclear weapon waiting to get launched.
4: Politically. Wow. Rick Davis goes for the nukes tonight. Uh, thank you as ever, Rick and Jeannie. Stay with us. We'll let you know in the news throughout the evening and the night what happened in the U.S. House. The best panel in the business here on SoundOn. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. I'll meet you back here tomorrow with a lot more to follow. We'll let you know how this panned out. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry, and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QNB.